No, he would go out to his car to record JavaScript Jabber because he couldn't get a quiet room at work. <laughs> and so he'd mute and then crack the door so he could breathe. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, DC, and other cities, and online at angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello, hello. Alyssa Nichol. Hey, guys. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have two special guests. We have Bonnie Brennan. Hello. And Keith Stewart. Hi, everyone. So um, I'm not sure we've had either of you on the show before. We might have had you on before, Bonnie. I just don't remember. Do you want to give us just a brief introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, so uh, I'm an uh, Angular architect uh, out of Houston, Texas. Uh, I'm the founder of NG Houston. Big fan of Angular since before it was uh, really big. Uh, so I taught myself Angular, and now I teach other people Angular, and I write Angular, and I uh, I do I do all that. I also run a CodeBridge Texas with my daughter. We do uh, workshops, free workshops for girls, like beginner programming workshops. So that's a lot of fun. She's a hoot. And we're going to be at a couple of conferences coming up. Uh, we're going to Angular Mix, and we're going to uh, Front End Connect with Alyssa. We're pretty excited about that. Uh, yeah. So that's a, that's about it for me. Nice. How about you, Keith? Yeah, I work for a company called CollabNet as a UI tech lead. Um, these days working mostly on UIs for DevOps-related products. And I'm also a frequent panelist on the uh, NG Houston meetup broadcast that, uh, uh, that Bonnie runs. And I'm a curator on um, uh, ngdocs.io with Alyssa and Joe. Woo-hoo! Nice. Well, we brought you on to talk about, I think the title you gave me was 10 Ways to Lose a Dev or something like that. Yeah, that was fun. Alyssa and I thought that was hilarious at the time. We, <laughs> we were talking about it. it was, and it's, I mean, it's not meant to be snarky. It's meant to be funny. But, you know, we, it was a spin on the movie title, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days with, I think, Matthew McConaughey or something like uh-huh. that. Uh, but, yeah, just about, you know, what developers are looking for and, and uh, what it takes to, to get the good ones and keep them. That makes sense to me. It's funny how many times I've had people come to me and say, you know, we're hiring and, you know, dig into that and what kind of company they are and come to find out, yeah, they've they've been bleeding devs off. And they're like, we, we can't find any senior developers that want to work for us. And all of our seniors seem to be going somewhere else. And so, yeah, maybe you can help them stop the bleeding in this <laughs> episode. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'm not quite sure where you want to start. I, I'm wondering a little bit, what do you think the most common reason for people to leave is? I have my own answer on this, but I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, I would. there are many reasons. I think if I had to pick one, like the most important thing, I mean, culture would, would be a big deal, but also uh, really the tech stack, I think. I, I, I spent a lot of time when I was starting out uh, as a junior developer working on legacy code and I, you know, and and you have to work on legacy code. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that, that have a lot of legacy code that needs to be maintained and they can't just rewrite it every time something new comes out. But at the same time, uh, when you, when you have a developer who spends a lot of time on 
emerging technology, learning, uh, teaching, participating in the community, getting into the open source stuff, you know, being kind of an alpha beta adopter and, and, uh, getting it at that level, you want to be working on, I mean, you know, you want to be working on this new stuff that you're learning and, and, uh, it's, it's, it can be frustrating to spend so much time learning really cool new functionality and then, you know, be stuck in working on something. And I've actually kind of run into a lot of developers that like they learn something new that they're excited about, but they don't have a job where they can use that. So I think that's a, I, if I had to narrow down, I'd say that was, that would be the the number one for me, most important thing. That's yeah. I, I'm just going to back you up on that. I kind of chalk it up to boredom in, in some ways uh, with what they're doing at work. But yeah, I talked to a whole bunch of people back in March cause I've been working on this course on how to find a better dev job. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I surveyed a whole bunch of people and then I talked to a whole bunch of people. I probably talked to 60 or 70 people on, on Skype or on the phone and just, you know, why are you looking for a new job? And so many of them, yeah, it was, well, we're using like EXTJS or, you know, we're, we're using, I mean, even Angular one, but you know, we're not, we're not moving ahead. We're not looking at using any new technologies and they just feel stuck because they're not progressing at work. And yeah, a yeah, lot of that. Exactly. A lot of that just yeah, it just boils down to, you know what? I want to feel like I'm growing and I'm not growing here. Exactly. Yeah, and especially when when I got to the point where I mean, you know, in the beginning I learned from books and I learned from Stack Overflow, but when I I kind of got a little bit further in my career to where, you know, you can't find this stuff on Stack Overflow or you can't go get a book and you have to start participating in the open source community and looking at GitHub is- issues and things like that. That's what I saw something on uh, Twitter a while back. <laughs> like, you know, you've, you've turned a corner in your career when you stop finding Stack Overflow and start finding GitHub issues when you Google an error message and you know it's new. And when you get to that <laughs> level, you know, you you want to be working on that stuff that you're excited about. And yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's an important thing. There are junior developers out there. There are people out there learning, uh, that are willing to work on legacy code. Cause I was at, you know, when I was starting out, I, I was happy to have a job as a developer. So, you know, I was excited to learn that way, but when you get to that other level, you want to be building things. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing related to this was one of the jobs I had that I didn't like. And part of the main reason I left was my boss at the time. But one of the other things that really drove me nuts was that I was heavily involved in the community and I felt like they were pushing me ahead. And then all of my coworkers were there to collect a nine to five check. And so right. it was it was the same kind of thing, except I didn't feel like I was being pushed by my coworkers, even though we were actually, you know, turning over new ground and I was leading the charge as far as choosing technologies and things. I just it's like, well, I go to work and there's nobody to talk to. You know, it brings up a really good point about developers who are proactive, I think, or any employee. I'm curious about the that experience. Did you feel like moving to a new job actually helped with that? So the job that I wound up getting after that, I wound up working with a friend of mine and he he actually mentored me in kind of leveling up my career to the next level. So in that case, yes. And I was actually deliberately looking for a company where they had other people that were involved in the community. And it wasn't terribly hard because I just go to the users group and talk to people. And, oh, our company's hiring. Well, yes, I'd like to work with you. So, you know, it kind of worked out that way that I found a company that matched that. But, yeah, you know, ultimately, when I finally left, I was looking to get away with get away from my boss. And I just, you know, it helped that I found a company that I could jump to that had somebody that was a little further ahead from where I was that was willing to kind of mentor me on the next level of my career. 
does that make you feel like if you should tell in people that, hey, if you're working at a place and the people are, th- are there just there to collect their nine to five, that you should go and find something new? Not necessarily. I mean, I got one of the guys there to start going to some of the users group meetings. Not a lot of them, but, you know, he, he started to get a little bit more excited and involved. And so I think you can get your coworkers involved. I think you could also, if you have any say in hiring, you can also sort of set things up so that you can find people who match the kind of people you want to work with and get that kind of caliber of developer in the company you're working at. I wasn't empowered really in either way. And so I I was in a position where my only option was to leave if I really cared about that. So I really feel for you, right? I had similar experiences where sometimes I worked with groups of amazing people, right? And they did tons for my career and sometimes I didn't. But I also feel like I think we have this problem in this industry where we give off this impression that, hey, if you are not a type A go-getter, you're going to be, you know, blogging and speaking at conferences that you just don't belong, right? And I dislike that attitude, but I'm not necessarily sure how to say, well, here's what we, here's what's different or here's how this is okay, or here's what to do if you don't want to be that kind of person. Because if we tell everybody that potentially looks at getting into software that, hey, if you're not going to be a, you know, this kind of a personality, if you're not going to be this ambitious, then just we don't want you here. Right? I, I think that's fair. And, and I, I, I want to correct the impression if I've made it. You know, I don't know if I did or not. but We all most, think you're a jerk, Chuck. Yep, thanks. Good, good, good. I'm doing my job. Anyway, <laughs> that's brutal. Um, my, I well, think, well, I think I mainly think was I just, I, I wanted somebody around that I could talk to about the stuff I was learning and I didn't have that. Right. I think that's an important difference there. I, most of my colleagues at IdeaBlade do not want to have, be in public. They just, they don't blog, they don't show up at groups, they don't dance on stage in funny costumes, you know, all the things that we know are important in life. Um, it, but every one of them is engaged in the ideas and in the craft of what they're doing is self-reflective, is uh, is reading the things that other people are writing and wants to talk about it and show, is proud of their own work and showing it. And so when the atmosphere is one like that, yeah, you don't have to be a performer um, to create a, to, to participate in and contribute to a great development environment, it seems to me. Joe, Joe, were you actually experiencing that then where you said you felt the pressure like in the culture was going in the opposite direction to where if you weren't a performer or if you weren't going on stage, then you basically just weren't trying hard enough? Well, I would say performer is probably a pretty extreme. Not, it's not just that. It's not like, oh, hey, if you're not speaking, but more like if you are the kind of person that goes home and programs for fun, then we don't want you here. I think that that's a fairly pervasive thing. I think that a lot of people get that impression. I think it's a two-way street because there was a point in my career where I was not comfortable speaking in front of people, like not at all. I mean, now, you know, obviously I've come out of my shell and I I, uh, run NG Houston. But when I first started that, I I was very uncomfortable and I really didn't feel like, you know, I was – prepared to get up in front of people. But at the same time, even back then, I was excited about the stuff that I was learning. The reason I started NG Houston was because I was excited about it. And and there have been points in my career when I find some specific software that I am excited about, 
but it might not be software that I'm able to use for, you know, maybe I'm working on legacy. Maybe I, you know, it, it's not approved or whatever, but you know, you come across something that you're excited about. And, and I think that's the thing that it, it's not necessarily performing. It's like, like he was saying, it's, you know, it, it's not exactly about getting up on stage or you don't care enough. It's, it, I think it really is about caring enough. And to, to go back to what Charles said earlier about being empowered, you know, it's a two-way street. You can be empowered and excited, and that goes back and forth to have that that energy in the team, I think, is is really fun. Yeah, it definitely is fun. But then what do you do with the people that just don't feel that way about software development? Well, they just aren't excited. Well, I don't know if excited is the right word, but the kind of people that don't go home and program, right? They go home and just do whatever they, they have other hobbies or whatever. Uh, for them, programming is a job. It's not a, pa- a life passion. Yeah. And I can relate to that too, because I've been like that, but, but the projects that I've worked on that I've really been excited about the, the projects that, you know, I love this job. Um, those are the ones where I, you know, I'm, it kind of drags me into, to spend more time, but if it's a, if it's a product that I don't really believe in, and I think it kind of, you know, goes to a different issue that about, uh, you know, the whole, how to lose a dev thing. If you're, if your quality of your code or your direction of whatever app you're building, if it's not going anywhere, you know, if you're just kind of fixing bugs and I think that, that kind of, uh, is an issue too. That's another, you know, what people care about the quality of the code. If I really care about what I'm building and I really believe in it, uh, if I believe in the people that I work for, the company that I work for, um, then that, you know, that makes a difference too in the, in the energy. Would you agree? Anybody? What uh, Joe was saying, though, about, you know, what do you do with those people? And I think there is a difference between, uh, like, people who, okay, this is just a job for me versus somebody who's like, okay, this is just a job for me, but I still take pride in my work. I still care about doing it the right way. And you don't have to live and breathe it night and day in order to take pride in your work, in order to actually care that you're doing it the right way. Right. Like I, I feel like there is still a gradient there of the type of person. And I feel like honestly, if you're all the way at the bottom of that gradient, I personally don't want to work with you. Like if, if you don't care about your work quality and this is just a job and you're just slapping code down, then it just makes it miserable. Um, but if you're in, in the, the mindset of like, Hey, I have kids or I have a life outside of this, but I'm still giving it my all while I'm here, then I think that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, everyone can only do as much as they can, right? Like we can't require more of them. I also want right. to just chime in on this really quickly because I have a lot of neighbors that work in software. And yeah, they, they're the type that just come home and they're, you know, they're into something else. And I think there are companies that work out well for both groups. But, you know, if you want the people who are out there you know, consistently learning and growing on their own time and doing the kinds of work that makes them extremely valuable to companies, then then I think those are the kinds of people we're talking about. This isn't a slight on the other type of developer that either sees it as a job or for whatever other life circumstances just doesn't have the time or money to go out and better themselves. But at the same time, um, you know, I think we're talking specifically about a specific type of developer and this is the type of the developer that's going to go and do this on their own. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm kind of derailing the conversation here a little bit to an entirely different direction, but that is the idea of our people who show up to work, to program just to work and program and not be, they aren't the kind of people that would do this even if they weren't getting paid. 
right? Are those people, are we sending a message to those people that we actually don't want them because we're saying things like, well, that's great, but I just don't want to be around you. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's because you're no, bad I my think, career. I like I Alyssa's. What Alyssa was saying earlier yep. was that, uh, you know, the people that just don't care about the quality, you can care a lot. And I've worked with people and I've been one of those people that cares a lot about what I'm building, but it, I, it might not necessarily be the, the latest cool thing, right? Uh, if I'm working on Angular JS and Angular 2 is coming out, I want to work on Angular 2. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that are still working on on the older technology that they care very much. Um, so I think there's, but I think what we're talking about is the people who do um, keep up with the community and and keep up with the latest. And it, it, like Charles said, it's a gradient. It's, it, there's so many, there's such a gray area. There's so many people in there at, at all at all levels of who has time to keep up with the latest. But I do think it's important in what we do. We, we need those people that don't, um, I, I, I think we're on to, first of all, I, I totally agree with Alyssa's criteria. Like if, if you care about your work, then you're valuable. If you don't care about your work, then you should be gone. But then it, it, that doesn't, that, I mean, that's about quality and, and, you know, and your self-respect and the way in which you treat others and things like that. But then getting to the point of what can developers work on? I mean, if you're an enterprise, you've got a lot of really important systems that need the person who cares about the legacy stuff, cares about the quality of it and wants to keep it up. And does it nine to five? And that's what you want. And those people are invaluable because you can't have a company that has all people who have to be on the bleeding edge all the time. That's no way to run anything. You got you got to maintain the stuff that you've got because there are users out there who care about the, the stuff that you've got. And they're important. And so I think that what we're getting at is that there are different strokes for different folks. And we've got to make sure there's a match between what you're asked to do and what your aspirations are. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think there's a couple of, there's two different types of people that we're talking about here too. They're, um, they're the, the folks that go home and they continue working on this on their own time. I think they tend to be generalists. They, uh, the folks that are on the bleeding edge, they like to, to keep on picking up the next big thing. They don't necessarily master any one of those. And then you have the, the other folks that, uh, they get really good at one particular thing that they're working on. They don't necessarily need to go home and continue uh, continue to hone their craft. Uh, but uh, during that nine to five, when they're working on their product, they're very good at it. They they maintain those legacy systems very well, and like Ward said, they become invaluable to those companies. So right, uh, I guess maybe we should back up a little bit and yeah, just define. Okay, what what type of developer are we talking about here that these companies want? And then yeah, how do how do they either keep them or attract them? Is it yeah, the people and that I, are staying I just up? Want to throw one more thing on the keys thing. Those people should be proud of the work that they mm -hmm. do. And we should be proud of them. I'm proud you know, obviously we you know, some of us are all excited about all the people who are chasing all the shiny stuff. Uh, like uh, like us, like me, whatever. But darn, whenever as a hiring manager, when I can find those people who will take really good care of what we have and are sensitive to those things, they're wonderful people and they're they're gold and I want them uh, on my team. I can't just have a, a team full of um, people who are looking under the rocks all the time. Right. Well, I think we started out with the whole uh, tech stack on, you know, what's 
to me, I think that's a personal choice for me at the where I'm at in my career right now, that the tech stack is a pretty big deal and I want to be working on all this latest cool stuff that I'm excited about. But yeah, there was a point when I was a, a legacy developer and there are a lot of people out there who are doing code and they're, and they're very good at it. And that's important too. And I think maybe one of the things that we, that we might mention is what happens when you have a team where you have people come in and build really cool code, but then they, you can't get them to stay. Cause I, I actually inherited legacy code a couple of times from people who built it and then left. And then the company's trying to find somebody else to come in and it's a difficult position. And I wonder what makes people, what makes people leave. Well, I, I know for me, I professional growth is a big thing. I, so that's, that's part of you know, what we've been hinting at here and, uh, you know, having opportunities to work on the, the leading technologies, leading uh, the latest, greatest, best practices and, and whatnot, getting into the, the new libraries that are coming out. So having the opportunity to, to do those things is important. It's not always something that every company can offer uh, 100% of the time. They all have these legacy systems that uh, need to be maintained. But being able to sprinkle these opportunities in here and there is um, is something you know usually can be done. But if not, I, there there are other things that I think you can do with some of the legacy applications to make them more palatable to to work on as well. I, like I, working on Angular JS apps these days, sometimes I, for many of us I think can it's it's not the ideal thing, right? We want to work on our Angular, Angular 2, uh, Angular 4 apps. But uh, when you're able to apply some of the, the best practices that we've learned recently to some of those legacy apps, like let's say uh, component architecture, and I've, I've tried to uh, apply those types of lessons learned to some of the Angular JS apps that, I'm, that I've worked on. It uh, definitely makes me a lot more motivated to, to work on those systems. That's a good point. Well, and the other thing is, is I've worked on applications where, yeah, it was legacy code. We weren't using the latest and greatest thing, but the company was making strides. They were making an effort to get us to the place where we were using some of those technologies, uh, both because they saw some financial advantage and because they knew that we were interested in them and that it would help us be happier at our work. And so I, I think a lot of times all you really have to do is just show the developers, hey, look, we care, we're listening, we know you want to head this way, we've got a couple of things that have to happen before that, but look, it's on the roadmap and we're going to get there. Absolutely. See, that would be that would be totally fair. You don't need to be on the bleeding edge, especially not in a production app, but you have to be moving, just don't be stagnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. So this is a, like, like number two or number three on your 10 list. Um, Chuck twice referred to um, not being unhappy with his boss is boss on your list of, uh, of, um, reason, ways to lose, uh, a developer. I would say yes and no, because it would be a deal breaker for me, but I can't really think of a time that I have left specifically because I didn't get along with, I mean, I've had some pretty, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the people that I've worked for. Now, when I was younger, before I was a developer, I had some pretty horrible bosses. But no, I, I don't seem to have that problem too much as a developer. I get along with, with people pretty well. But mm -hmm. um, the company culture is definitely an important thing because I think that it comes from management. You know, however the the upper management feels about culture, that's obviously going to trickle down. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. And to me, the most important thing there is to take pride in 
all of our code and and we care about what's going on and just be treated with respect, which is usually pretty, you know, usually most of the dev teams I've worked on have been pretty agreeable people. Is that a common thing? Well, I, I think there are ways in which even a well-meaning boss can can blow up a, a team. Um, and I'm kind of curious about Chuck in mind his case, but I'm sure we all have our own horror stories as well. And we're, we're reading it in the news all the time, like like what's happening at Uber and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Though that, a lot of times true. the the things with Uber and stuff, I mean, that's uh, you know something stupid that the boss said. He may be a great boss, he just may not be a you know a good spokesman for the company or his values may not match up with somebody else's. And I think those are two different issues. Yeah. I, I mean, I could tell you a little bit about this boss, but I, I, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tell us Chuck. <laughs> don't worry. He's not listening. <laughs> I know he's not. I actually ran into him a while back at, in the airport within the last year. And he was very nice to me, but just to give you an idea, he, he was very controlling wanted things to go exactly the way that he wanted them to go. And the other issue was that he was, uh, so there were a couple of issues. There was that. There was also the fact that I was the team lead, but then somebody on my team was theoretically over me. And so there was a little bit of circular, okay, well, who's, who's actually in charge? And, you know, and we were friends and we got along fine, but sometimes there was red tape that came out of that in a company of about 20 people, you know, and, <laughs> You know, the the development team, we had four or five people on it. And, okay, well, is this, you know, do you have to handle this or do I have to handle this? Because, you know, it has to get done. And so there was some confusion there. And then he was also the person who was specifying the requirements for the application. And he wasn't very good at staying consistent with it. And so we would wind up building one thing and then he would get angry with us because we hadn't built what he wanted, even though it was exactly what he had specified and drawn pictures of and everything else. And, you know, so things like that, it was just, it was difficult to kind of hand the responsibility up or down the chain. It seemed like everything kind of stopped with me because, because of the way that he managed things from there. And there were other things that were going on at the company that, that I don't necessarily need to go into, but yeah, he, he eventually wound up driving away every single developer that worked in that company. That kind of sounds like a situation that I had a long time ago where, the project requirements kept changing while I was writing the code mm -hmm. and I kept kind of rewriting it over and over and over again. And it was a, you know, I was getting paid for it regardless, but it was just so frustrating. And I, I was actually getting paid pretty well for it. And I ended up leaving anyway because I was so frustrated because I just kept writing this code over and over and over again and they kept changing their minds. And it was a very frustrating situation to be in as far as project management is concerned to be inefficient. Well, and that's the thing is if you don't feel like you're making a difference or, you feel like, okay, I'm going into work to be frustrated all day again. It doesn't matter what technology they're using. It doesn't matter how much you like the rest of your coworkers. Eventually, you're going to burn out and want to leave. Yeah. No matter how much they're paying you, yep. if you're miserable every day and frustrated every day, it's, yeah, I absolutely agree. Has anybody ever left because they weren't being paid enough? I haven't. When I was younger, but not as a developer, no. I mean, that you get to a certain point where, you know, the bills are paid, it's fine. But there are other issues, I think, that, I mean, you know, assuming that we all make pretty decent money, there are other things that, that become more important. I think when you're when you're not making a whole lot of money, that's a, that's a big deal. But when you make more money, it's you really want to be happy. I mean, money is an issue, though. I mean, but I don't think I, it's the biggest issue. I, I know... For me, I, uh, that was more of an issue when I was kind of coming up the ranks. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Initially, I mean, there was a lot of 
moving companies to you know get the next um, big thing, but or the the next uh, bigger paycheck, I should say. But technology was always part of that as well. I mean, like sometimes I'd be weighing two companies uh, where maybe one actually paid a little higher, but the other one I liked the technical stack a little better. And I, I would actually give uh, give more of a favorable rating to the one with the tech stack. I would agree with that too. Yeah. I ask in part because, you know, we routinely read these articles about, you know, about what developers are getting paid and what the trend lines in different places and, and stuff like that. And I wonder what role that plays in developers thinking or whether that's just some, just something for managers to who are trying to figure out how to, how to price the market. Because I'm like all of you, I, I there's plenty of situations that would have paid me more that I would you know I wouldn't go anywhere near because they didn't fit my vision of how I wanted to live my life uh, and that always seemed to trump how much money I was making but again as we all say this is a privilege to be in an industry where even at the low end of of the salary rank you're doing you know you're, you're you tend to be pretty comfortable it's funny there was a Huffington Post article a couple years ago they did a study that said 80% of employees say they're motivated to work harder when their boss shows appreciation for their work, and 40% are inspired to work harder when their boss is uh, demanding or because they fear losing their job. So twice as many people wanted to work harder because their boss appreciated what they were doing, and half of the people were just you know doing because they were worried about their job. So people actually seem to work a lot harder, which I would agree with when they feel appreciated. I I love these these kinds of polls and I you know I I don't think people actually particularly know oh I'm working harder cuz I'm happier or working harder cuz I'm not happier but it at least shows that people think about it even if it doesn't necessarily measure work output right again as the person who's had to be on the manager side of this so what what are the effective ways to show your appreciation to a developer and what are the ways that that bosses think or or companies think that they should do it that aren't actually effective in in showing appreciation well there's one easy one that comes to mind when we're all sitting around in a meeting and you mention that you know hey i i really uh think Alyssa did a great job on this feature uh she was she was pretty amazing about that um good bosses just say things like that all the time and other bosses would never say something like that. And that to me tells a lot about just giving credit for somebody on your team that says, hey, this person built this. This is cool. Um, you know, I would always get, <laughs> on a, the, on the get some pride. Up, that, I've had it happen where they were announcing a feature and, you know, the, the boss was like, yeah, I, I don't know who did that, but, you know, great work. This looks awesome. And, you know, you're, <laughs> just, you're just sitting there going, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and the and then on the flip side, the worst kind of boss is the boss that says, "Look what I did." And you sit there <laughs> oh, I guess that is even worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh man, and I've seen that a couple times, but but usually, you know, if they'll give credit, that's good. It well, it I seems just, like it would be a small thing, you know, but counts. This is different for different people too, right? I so and there's there's no one answer to to this question. How do you how do you give of proper appreciation because some people like to to be called out in a meeting and say you did a good job 
Some folks would like that to be a little more, you know, behind the scenes. Or some folks, you know, maybe they're looking for a bonus instead. So I, I think part of it's just a very difficult question to, to answer. You, ha- you have to be able to read your people in order to, to properly do that. Yeah, maybe yeah, publicly fair. you call them out in a meeting and say thank you. And then privately be like, here, you earn this. Yeah, because sure. for me, it's more about just having if, maybe a mentor, maybe it's a boss that just regularly checks in and like, even if it's not a pat on the back, just them checking in, seeing that, you know, I have what I need and, you know, seeing how, you know, the projects are going and just that kind of appreciate, like is more appreciation to me because it shows that they like, they care, they care about the process. They want to you know, do a temperature check and make sure their employees are, you know, happy and have what they need. And, and to me, that's more of a, like a long run sustaining type of attitude and so, I mean, it's always nice to get appreciation, but I, I, I like the, the ones that'll come, come in and kind of walk alongside you too. So how about the boss who asks your opinion on an important uh, decision, technical or otherwise? Oh yeah, that's huge. Yeah. That speaks volumes. That definitely, um, if you're getting approached with those types of questions, it, it makes you feel uh, like you are a valuable resource for, for the company. So I mean, that, that definitely makes you feel a lot better about where you are. So, hey, bosses, listen up. Be specific in your praise and ask what your people think about an important decision and don't worry so much about how much you're paying them. That's what I'm hearing. Well, I mean, do worry about how much you're paying. But, yeah, the, yeah, the other thing. Well, okay. I mean, there's it's, it's just a, a management style. And I've, I've had a couple of bosses that in the beginning, anytime I needed something, had a question or, you know, how would you like me to handle this? They were very available. But over time, um, they get busy and sometimes don't really respond to emails, phone calls. Have you guys ever had that? Where it's just that, like, you can't get a hold of the person who's trying to tell you, yeah, who's supposed to tell like you what you're supposed to be doing. Of doom. You're just kind of sending messages into nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that yeah. same boss. Um, I'd call him like four or five times. And then he'd come back in and tell me how great his golf uh, round was after I couldn't yeah. get a hold of him for something critical. <laughs> it's like I worked for that same guy, except he was uh, at the race race course. But yeah, same thing. Like, well, I, I really need to ask you a question, and then I can go on with my day. And I can't. I'm blocked because I don't know how you want this handled. So I'm gonna have to guess, and I'm probably gonna have to re- go back later and redo it, uh, which was normally the case. But you know what? I have a I have kind of a huge pet peeve and this is something that's happened a couple times and probably the biggest thing that would frustrate me in, in a job and and I I don't understand how this happens but have you guys ever had a situation where the job that you get when you show up and you start working on a project and you you've accepted a full-time gig uh is not the job that you talked about <laughs> I mean no that to me, like, I mean, we were talking about whether or not you're on legacy code or, or emerging technology, right? Whether or not you're um, going to be big on best practices or just hack it together, get it out the door, what kind of company culture you have. I mean, all these kind of things. I think that anything would be, you know, like we were talking about certain kind of developers want to do nine to five, other kind of developers want to be on the emerging technology. And I think that they're they're both valid, right? Uh, we we need both kinds of developers. But if you talk about a job in one way and then you get there and it's not what you talked about, um, that to me I think would be a big 
I've been in that situation and that that frustrates me more than anything because if, if it's if everybody's laying their cards on the table in the beginning and we're all being really straightforward, then we get to choose if we want to be on emerging technology or legacy or, you know, whatever's important to us. Um, it has to be a match. But that have you ever been in like kind of a bait and switch thing? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want, to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hired.com slash adventures in Angular, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. So instead of $300, you get $600 for signing up at our link. That's hired.com slash adventures in Angular. I don't know if it was a an in, like an intentional one but yeah and it's really disappointing and kind of confusing because I'm like wait but you said we'd be working on this or we would be heading here and so I get that things happen but especially when it's like the technologies that we'll be working in I don't I don't know why that would get pulled out from under our feet but yeah <laughs> one one of the things that that I've tried to do in the past when recruiting uh, new developers for our team is I, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies will do, I bring people in give them coding exercises on a whiteboard and, and all that. I, I've never liked that type of a, of an exercise. So we, we built a small application that was very similar in, in structure and everything to the application that the folks would actually be working on, put it up on GitHub and then brought people in and gave them some tasks and had them, I, sit here for for the day and or at least half a day and work actually in the environment that they would be working in if they if they got the job so they get a feel for the environment they get a feel for the people they get a feel for the type of work that they'd be doing so that they don't feel like the wool is going to be pulled over their eyes as soon as they uh, accept the position yeah i think that's highly valuable both for the person hiring and for the person being hired my first developer job, they they kind of explained to me that I'd be working under certain conditions. And then, yeah, as soon as I got there, I think I worked about 10 total days in the office because they were a consulting company. And I spent the rest of my time working out of the client's office. And, I mean, they didn't explain any of that to me. They kind of said, look, here are the cubicles. This is where all our developers sit. You know, I got to meet some of the other developers you know, they also explained to me that, hey, look, you know, this is our policy. If we, we don't have work for you, we'll bench you for a couple of weeks and then, you know, we'll lay you off if we can't find your work. And it, it turned out that almost none of those things were true. Now, I loved the job anyway because I was learning a ton of stuff, but 
yeah, you know, for me, it's it's been working conditions that I get the bait and switch on, not the the other stuff. Mine was the, the uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and it was actually a great company and a great team, and I loved it a lot. But I was brought in specifically to upgrade from Angular JS to Angular two, and then after I'd been there a while trying to get, trying to do that, they decided no, we're not gonna we're not gonna upgrade, and I was like, well, so we're gonna stay in Angular JS indefinitely, maybe forever. And uh, I was like, but I was hired specifically for for helping with this. And it was it was a frustrating thing. But I mean, other than that, it was a great company. But it was just, uh, you know, this is something that I, I want to be working on. And I just wish that had been, you know, when we talked about it in the beginning, I wish that we had talked about that. There's a good chance they didn't know it. There was a good chance that they you're, the person that hired you was as shocked as you were. That's when true. The change when a change came down. Um, I mean, I've been. I've been on that side where you, you, whereas the hiring manager, you were pretty convinced it was going one way and then something way above your pay grade shifts the direction and it's all over. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I've been in a position, you know, where, where we were staffing up for something and then got the call that the whole project had been killed. Uh, and now you've got all these people that you, you either hired or are about to hire and, and it was over just like that snap of the finger. And that's embarrassing for everybody, it's it's tough, and so I'm, yeah, I'm sympathetic with both sides. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm curious how you all feel about remote versus uh, working in an office and that uh, that type of a location or the facilities that, that they have there. I, I have a feeling I am going to be in a little different spot than than everyone else. But uh, how do you guys feel about remote work versus in an office? I've like absolutely loved being remote this past year and I've found like I have ADHD and I didn't realize how distracted I actually was in an office setting versus like the silence that I can create in my own home and I've never felt this productive like ever and so honestly just being able to have the freedom to set up the the environment that I need to be the most productive has just been so freeing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. A hundred percent. Exactly what she said. I've been working remote about three years, a hundred percent. And, uh, it's amazing. I've, I love my, I, I get so much more work done here than I did, especially those open office floor plans, uh, with a, you know, a bunch of girls on the other side of the cubicle talking about the Kardashians and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> who they were going out with on Saturday. Saturday. I mean, there's, it's so difficult, you know, and I have to, I do Pomodoro's. I have to get up periodically because if I'm not careful, I'll sit here for six hours in my chair and then try to unfold and it's not a good situation. Right. So I get up every once in a while. You do I can Pomodoro go make, too? That's so yeah. awesome. Ah. Because I, it, it reminds, it's a little thing that dings every 25 minutes and it reminds me to get up. And, and when I work from home, it's, you know, little things like I can just go throw laundry in the dryer or I can, you know, make some coffee, grab something healthy out of the fridge and I'm not, you know, constantly getting, fast food or, you know, I got this little dog that lays at my feet and, you know, I got a great chair and a, and a big external monitor. I mean, I have this, this great, uh, development environment. And, and I think now that, especially probably in the last couple of years, remote has changed because it's so easy for us to jump on a video conference and share screens with multiple people. Um, it's just, you know, that it didn't used to be, it used to be more difficult to communicate so you have to send an email or or have these meetings. And now we can just jump on a video call and, and it just make the world such a smaller place. But there are a lot of people, especially in my city, who 
are old school and they want you to be sitting in the chair where they can see you at all times. So it's, it's, I think there's still a lot of, but then like Keith said, you know, Keith doesn't mind working on site. I love working remote. So maybe it's a personal preference too. Well, and I, I will also say, you know, having done both and having worked with people that do both, I've worked on um, remote teams where with people that absolutely should never have worked on a remote team. And I've worked with people in offices where they couldn't get past the, hey, Jim, where do you want to go for lunch? And then Jim <laughs> on the other end going, I don't know, how about McDonald's? And this whole conversation that's, you know, now everybody's looking up and seeing what's going on. And it's like, you know, what, I just can't get work done in this environment. Um, exactly. And, and it's funny, too, because I work from home. And people think it's nuts because I have kids ranging from age 10 or 11 to one and a half at home. And it's summer, so none of them are in school right now. And I still get a ton more done than not. So it, it, it really depends on the person. Some people just need to go to a dedicated space and get the stuff done. And some people can create that at home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I spent a number of years uh, working 100% remote as an independent contractor. And... Uh, it took a little while to find my motivation, but once I found that, I, I was extremely productive. Uh, but then I started taking jobs where I was working in an office, and I, I I agree that it's very easy to to get people onto onto Skype or whatever to to have meetings with folks. But I find that a lot of times the people in the meetings are much more engaged when it's in person. Uh, so I don't necessarily want to be stuck in an office all day, every day. Um, I like to be flexible to work remote part of the time, but having an office space, I think can, uh, add a lot of value to a tight knit team, uh, as well. If everyone's in a, in a similar location, you know, I'm going to be with you, Keith, on that. And I'm even going to say, uh, here's a guy who lives, lives working mostly by rem remote and, and yet I know how easily working remote I can get distracted as well by cha you know, by watching because I I look up at the Kardashians all the time I kind of follow <laughs> everything they do so you know that's easy for me I got them right here on screen it's partly they were actually my pick for today but but uh, I, and I want to throw this other thing in you know every once in a while though I go down to the to, let's pick a company we've all heard of Google you know the Angular team they okay. all work in the office they all come in now, they can work at home too and they do. They all come in, and I watch the dynamic in that office, and I can sh I can tell you that every time I go down there, yeah, we're having yes some of these sort of these conversations that you that surprise you that you weren't expecting to have, um, but they're very informative. It feels a little bit like going to a bookstore looking for book X, and you see book Y next to it, and you're so glad you did. Well, I mean that that kind of thing happens there, and also people are able to work very in very concentrated way down there uh, in the angular team on their own projects even though open office plans sitting right next to each other and there is something special about what happens uh when they're when you're face to face with somebody and i that they seem to have made the determination there at google that it makes good sense for them to be sitting next to each other in an open office plan and, and it ain't because they don't trust the people they really trust the people, but they they trust them to do well in that environment. So I do don't. Do they have like any policies of like no talking in the nope. office, like between these hours or something, or like library nope. voices? Nope. People put on headphones when they're 
when they're really focusing on something, they have little places that they can disappear to. But what I, I see a lot of is when somebody's really concentrating, they've got their headphones on and they're playing, God knows what they're playing there, as they're grinding away. And I'm up walking around and I don't, I don't see the Kardashians on their screen. So, you know, it's, I'm conflicted about it. I think that, you know, in my own personal life, a, a blend of it is valuable. I, I like working apart. But I, I really get a lot out of being face to face. And maybe that's what Keith is going for. And, and also I, with, with an office space, I think there are a lot of perks that, that can be offered as well. I, you know, with the, the idea here for this, this podcast, I mean, how, how do you attract good developers and, and keep them? I, some of the perks that you can give in those facilities can be um, a good thing to, to keep folks. I mean, Google, I understand, has... A, a phenomenal campus there with uh, lots of perks, um, but some other smaller companies. I mean, I, I've worked for a couple of companies that you know have a fully stocked snack room, have a ping pong table, foosball, thing, things like that. The, and these are things that can also contribute to company culture and and make it a much more attractive place for developers. Yeah, one other thing that I'll add on the on the idea of remote is that some people just aren't in a position to go to the office. So, for example, um, I have a good friend that lives out in Colorado, and he's an hour-ish away from Denver, but and, and he's not a developer, but what he does, only very large companies hire. And so he's kind of in a position where, you know, he, he couldn't just get a job doing what he does somewhere near him. And so, you know, he works for a company based out of Chicago, and and, and that kind of works for him. And he's living in Colorado because his father had... Uh, an accident and he has to be there to take care of him. And so, you know, you have people that live in particular areas for particular reasons and they're highly talented, but they're not in one of the pools of talent or pools of, you know, technology focus like we have here in Salt Lake or in San Francisco or New York um, or some of the bigger cities across the U S and the world. And so, you know, you can attract some of those people and bring in their talent and then if you can make it work for you, you can have them work for you remotely. Right. And also for people who have kids at home, people who have, you know, aging parents that they're taking care of. Sometimes you got kids coming home, junior high and high school. They don't really need to be supervised. If, if you're mm -hmm. home and you're in your office working, you don't need to interact with them and help them with their homework. However, if you're anything like me and my brothers growing up, you don't necessarily want a couple of teenagers to come home to an empty house every day because they'll burn that house down if you're not careful. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's good to have uh, to have that freedom to just be there, you know, even in the in the house in case uh, in case the kids start a fire. Yeah, I like I really like what Ward said, though, and I feel like be like working from home remotely is really working for me right now. But I think there's going to be, I don't think this is the end all be all. And I think there'll be different seasons in my life where working in an office will be uh, productive again and beneficial. So I think a mix is definitely advised. <laughs> and I also think in response to what Ward said, the, uh, the culture of creativity at Google, I think might be a little unusual and a little better than normal companies. Cause they have, I think they have a, uh, kind of in a different league, the developers that they have, especially on the Angular team, as opposed to a regular, you know, like uh, down here in Houston, oil and gas, they're not in, in an oil and gas industry. Um, IT is a cost center, not a profit center. So you're not going to have a rock star development team because you're just costing us money. They're not really big on the latest and greatest. 
Um, whereas if you're in a, if you're in a web development shop or something where that is important, then you're going to be able to have the opportunity to be rock stars on a development team. Well, I'd like to think, Bonnie, that no matter what, you know, business large or small, we could create those, um, environments in which people can feel that they're the rock star in their little pond. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, I've seen soul killing cubicle filled places, the kind of thing that, you know, that Ems has been cartooning for a long time. And, you know, that's death. And as managers, as people trying to put together teams that are effective in, in any organization anywhere, um, part of our responsibility is to create that, is to create a creative environment and maintain a creative environment. Uh, and I figure, I feel that's, that's a, big part of the manager's role um, is is to foster that uh, and when we don't do that um, then then it's our fault yeah absolutely and it's actually funny that I that I would say that because I actually uh, was at, an, at a large oil and gas company a couple of years ago when I started working with angular initially and uh, I actually had a lot of fun at that job and we were working with SharePoint 2013 and, and angular uh, in 2013 and it was it was it was a really fun job but it was oil and gas so not all oil and gas companies. So that was actually a lot of fun. Have we covered? I feel like we've we've covered some of the items on your list, but you had ten, and I figure I, I I have a feeling we aren't even at the halfway point. What else have you got on there? I mean, I don't I don't know that it was ten specifically. I think it was just a, a spin on the movie that, like I said, Alyssa and I thought it was hilarious at the time. And we talked about remote, and we talked about the work life balance there, and we talked about tech stack maintaining legacy code versus creating something new. Um, we talked about company culture, right? Oh, you know, one thing that I had wanted to mention on here was uh, uh, alcohol, right? Have you ever had a company where there's a, and I guess not so much in Utah, but where there's kind of almost a mandatory happy hour? Have you guys ever been in that situation? I've, I've yeah. been to conferences just a Texas where it thing? was. That Maybe it's so wrong. The whole, fr- it seems very like programmer kind of uh, environment. For no, it was, it's very much started to feel like drinking the Kool-Aid, like because of all of the, like, cause whenever, I don't know, whenever someone was saying, yeah, you should have things like a ping pong table or, you know, like all these different perks, it kind of made me cringe. Cause it just reminds me of uh, companies that I've experienced that are very much like, I guess, programmer or drink the Kool-Aid yeah. and they go overboard. And if you're not into it as much as they are, or I don't know, it just sometimes scared me a little bit. Cause I was like, Oh dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. I think it can get out of hand. I think in, in, when you have a bunch of young people, maybe that's super cool to have all these company sponsored, um, you know, events with, with, it's a great way to kind of bond with everybody and get to know your coworkers. But I think when you when you have uh, especially if you have a family at home, um, it's it's a lot of pressure. You know, I worked with a lot of young people at one point and I was, you know, and I already had kids at home and I was married and everything. Um, but a lot of them would go out, you know, two, three times a week. And, and sometimes managers are going out with them and everybody's talking about it the next day. Oh, we had so much fun. Uh, and there was kind of an expectation to to go along with that. And then there were certain people that didn't. And, you know. Maybe it's the same with with some industries on the golf course where, you know, you're having that camaraderie. Uh, and if you don't participate in that, you, do you maybe get left behind? Yeah, you're, you're, you're torn between trying to have team building and animal farm. I think some of this having a diverse workplace and that means the usual, you know, we all think gender immediately and race maybe. But age, uh, you know, where people are in their different stages of life 
bringing bringing uh, real you know putting those people on the same teams, breaking barriers, that that makes it that seems to me to work uh, to make a, a foster a a, a uh, healthier climate for all of the developers. Right. What is yep. Animal Farm? <laughs> That's just one of those books we had to read when we were in high school back in the <laughs> George Orwell <laughs> classic. Yeah. You should read it if you get oh, a chance. Oh, okay, okay. It, I, guess. It, I thought it was like some kind of slang that you kids are using nowadays or something. No, it's the it's the you old know, Ward. He's always yeah. into the slang, latest uh, slang. Uh, <laughs> just the kind of guy he is. Yeah, it, it's where every it's uh, yeah, it's where you have a monoculture and and there, everything is sort of dictated um, by. Uh, okay world that uh, people build for themselves uh, you know there, there was another one also from that era that was book from that era uh, lord of the flies kind of thing which i could have referenced <laughs> go check that one out I gotcha. okay so there's one thing i think that's a that's another one one of those you know different teams uh works you know work in different ways and and different things work for each team but how do you guys feel about building in code quality from the beginning versus going back and cleaning it up. So, you know, some teams, they really want to get it right and, uh, you know, do that, especially test-driven development, I think, is a big one here because some companies really want to have all that quality and, and best practices and others will say, uh, we're going to go ahead and push this production and go back later and clean it up. We'll add, we'll add uh, you, you know, unit tests and stuff like that later. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Go back to clean it up later is a complete pipe dream. It never happens. <laughs> it's so true. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't. But why do we keep hearing that? Why do we keep hearing we'll do it right later? Let's just go ahead and get this out the door. Uh, I mean, do you think that's kind of a, a you can't really fix that? Well, I think, or I think that, they're operating. I think that they honestly under- believe they're going to come back. I think they're like, you know, like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. Like, I don't think, I don't know, maybe some people are maliciously saying it, but. No, I think people are operating under the delusion that they'll save time by doing it that way. And in reality, all they're doing is charging up that credit card of eventually we're going to have to fix crap that we shouldn't have had to fix. Yeah. yeah. I really yeah. like that, that saying of charging up the credit card. <laughs> yeah, here's something I've discovered. If you don't add unit tests when you write the code initially, you're never going to. <laughs> you're not going to go back later and add unit tests after your code's all working. It doesn't... I've, I've never seen that happen. I've seen that happen at exactly one company and it was basically somebody just got so fed up with it that they basically told management and the rest of the team, you can do whatever you want, but I'm fixing this because I'm tired of fixing this. And then they went in and wrote unit tests at least around the more common places where things broke. It's very difficult to do. And I've noticed when, you, when you're writing unit tests, I mean, it's it really makes you write better code. And mm-hmm. if you go and just write it all without unit tests and then go back and it's just it's very inefficient but i think it's the overall uh culture thing you know it's, it's it might work for some teams and not work for others but i think that's one of those things that you know there are certain things where you kind of have to decide which kind of team you're going to be and make sure the people on your team are on board with that because i've seen people that really just is like oh this is close enough it works let's let's rock and roll and then i've seen other people that are like we want this to be correct and neat and clean and but it's hard to cross that line. It's you know you have to be on one side or the other and and get everybody on the same page. Yep, it's really hard to get customers to pay for it, and even when you can price it. And to be honest, you know it, it, the unit test cost. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
the best I've been able to get to is that it takes about as much time to write the unit tests as the as the first draft of the code you write. Uh, and that's pretty tough. That's a tough sell for somebody who's paying by the hour. Uh, you have to, and then you have to somehow convince them that the that their metric of the time it took you to get to the first draft is not the total cost of that piece of code. Uh, and that's been harder to measure, and then it, it, it's harder to sell. And so uh, I've had a devil of a time. Um, getting testing into into a contract. I think I've maybe succeeded once. Well, that's that makes me feel better that I'm not the only one because I feel like I keep hearing about it, but I but I I have the same experience. Customers don't want to pay for it. Well, my my I, way, the way I got it into contracts was I just told them that was how I worked. But then I like it. I, I also that's probably how you do it, Chuck. You have to price the first draft as including the tests and don't tell them that's what you're doing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's the only way. Well, the, the other thing is, is that I typically would charge per project and not, or you know, or per, per chunk of the project instead of per hour, and so then it was a non-issue. They got the test as part of the deal. Right. Yeah, that I the way that I've priced out some of the um, uh, freelance work that I've done, I I just kind of have glossed over the the testing. It, it's just kind of assumed to be part of the development cost. And uh, so, you know, I've gotten clients to pay for it that way. It's tough. That's a show in itself. How do you get people yeah. to, to do the right thing? How do you get your client to do the right thing? Um, I have a and, show about uh, that. It's, it's called The Freelancer Show. You can find it on devchat.tv. Aha. Uh -huh. Put it in the show notes. Um, because, of course, then the follow-up question is, how do, you know, how do you know you're doing the right thing? But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think we're way past the end of our time. This has been really great to just talk through and, and know that on some of these things, I'm not completely out in left field. But, but let's go ahead and get to some picks. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at NewbieRemoteConf.com. Hey, Ward, do you want to start <laughs> us with picks? Sure. And my pick for the week is not related to our topic today, but there's been an awful lot, I don't know if you've noticed, there's an awful lot of talk about PWAs, which stands for Progressive Web Apps, which is really about how to um, make apps perform well, even when you're offline or you've got poor connections. And it's it's the buzzword of the moment, but it's real. Not every buzzword is about the Kardashians. So there's a really wonderful talk that Jake Archibald did uh, on. Uh, he's, he he works. He's a developer evangelist for Google. He worked on Service Worker, and this is a talk about Service Worker, and it takes you step by step through turning something a normal app into a PWA and what is gained in each step and how 
each step is its own. One of his catchphrases in there is we can ship that because uh, it gets to each point and it's something that you might feel comfortable releasing before you say, but I can do a little bit better and taking another step. It's just so brilliantly done. It's enormously funny. He's a very good presenter and I highly recommend this talk that I put in the show notes. Awesome. Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. So the first pick I want to pick, I'm pretty sure I haven't picked it already, is a TV show, a movie that Netflix has published called Shimmer Lake. It's kind of a cop procedural, dark humor, murder mystery. Excellent show. Super well done. Just absolutely loved it. It was, it was told backwards. It starts on day five. You see day five, then day four, then day three, then day two, then day one. And so it's a really unique way that it was shown. Really enjoyed watching it. Highly recommend it. Shimmer Lake. And then my second pick is actually going to be one of our guests, Keith Stewart. I want to pick Keith. He uh, volunteered to help out with NG Doc. At, uh, and we, you know, we were in desperate need of help. And he's been a big help with making things work well at, on NG Doc, getting the right stuff to say the right things. And it's, I've just been grateful for him and the help of the other people helped out with ng-doc all these people that are doing stuff without getting paid contributing to open source so that's going to be my pick is keith and the things that he does that's it joe oh that's awesome all right i'll jump in here with a couple of picks Uh, the first one is just a quick reminder i'm putting on angular dev summit in september so if you want to go get tickets they are free just scroll down click on the free attendee link and awesome um, I'm going to be inviting speakers here within the next few days and, uh, yeah, it should be awesome. One other thing I'm going to pick, and this is something that I have on my desk all the time and I use all the time. In fact, I'm going to pick two things that I have on my desk. The first one is this Camelback Eddy, E-D-D-Y. I got it on Amazon. It was not that expensive. The thing that I like about it though, is that at an IT job that I had way back in the day, we were only allowed to have containers that closed at our desk so that we wouldn't spill on our keyboards and things and uh, it's nice to just have something that I can drink out of and you know use at my desk so that's generally what I tend to use another one that I I use all the time is it's one of those uh, bluetooth speakers it's called the Jam XT I think you can also get it on Amazon but yeah it just pairs with my phone and then if I want to listen to music or podcasts or something I can just pair it up and take it with me and yeah I really you know, I really like it and uh, I'm super happy I have it. So yeah, those are just a couple of things that I've got here sitting around. Bonnie, what are your picks? So I really love uh, Deborah Carotta's new Pluralsight course on reactive forms. Uh, I've been a fan of Deborah Carotta for a while. Uh, I really like her courses and she just came out with a new one and and, and she's actually a, a little bit goofier than I remember her being in there. There's a couple of yippies and woohoos in there that made me chuckle. Uh, so I like that course a lot. And also Todd Motto's a, a good one to watch with Ultimate Angular. There's some really cool topics coming out. Uh, uh, on Ultimate Angular, some some NGRX, and he's also got some stuff on reactive forms. That's just it's a very good way to uh, explain things. And if there's room for one more, ThoughtRam uh, also always has really good blog posts. Uh, so those are three places that I go anytime I want to learn something new because they they're very good at explaining new concepts uh, and making it simple. All right, Keith, what are your picks? All right, start with a development related pick. Uh, there was a blog post by Jeff Welpley just recently called uh, Building Maintainable Angular 2 Applications. 
I thought it was a great rundown of all these different aspects of uh, things that you can do to um, well, help make your Angular 2 apps more maintainable. I and mean, things uh, about um, you know structuring your dumb versus smart components of presentational and um, uh, components and whatnot, and uh, the use of uh, state management tools like NGRX and uh, things of that sort. Um, it was a really good read. And um, my second pick, I just recently rewatched Rogue One, and uh, uh, I, I just got to—it's been out for a little while, but I, I got to bring it back up as a, just a great Star Wars movie. What was that? Just so you could avoid a root canal or something? <laughs> <laughs> Ward was just was... watching that right before the episode started. Yep, it's his new favorite movie. Mm-hmm. That and the Kardashians. Oh, oh no, I'd rather watch the Kardashians and an endless supply of Rogaine commercials. <laughs> All right. Well, Bonnie and Keith, if people want to check in on what you're working on these days or just follow you on Twitter or anything like that, where, where do they go? I'm at Bonster75 on Twitter. And I also have started building some uh, cool stuff on the YouTube NG Houston channel. There's a really cool uh, talk on there with Ward Bell, too, not too long ago. That was fun. And there's the NG doc on there, too. We did the mean stack. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and uh, you can find me at uh, the Keith Stewart on Twitter. Um, uh, fairly active there. And, uh, you know, I can always find both Bonnie and me over at the, the NG Houston uh, meetup broadcast. Awesome. For sure, well, for sure. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will catch everyone next week. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.